It is so good to see all of you in the house of God this morning. Our pastor, Reverend Ronald Yap, is away, and I have the privilege and joy of uh, preaching God's Word this morning. We are in the season of Lent, leading to Easter, and I'm sure we are all meditating on the scriptures concerning Jesus' death on the cross and how through that he has saved us. It is a good time for us to reflect upon our lives, to see what changes we have to make in our lives to follow Christ more closely. And if you have been following the Bible reading plan of the church, you will realize that the passage that has been assigned to me, 1 Timothy 6, 3 to 12, will be your reading tomorrow. And I hope that after today's sermon, as you read this passage again tomorrow, you will continue to meditate on the thoughts and on what God has to speak to you. Let us go to God in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this time of worship where we can sit in your presence to sense the Holy Spirit amidst us ministering to our needs. We thank you, O God, for the privilege of being your children and your calling to us to follow you. We thank you for the scriptures that you have given to us to guide us in our lives. For you have said, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuke, correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. So Lord, as we open your scriptures, we ask you to give us teachable spirits, receptive hearts, that we may make changes in our lives, have the courage and the wisdom to follow that which you have commanded us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some people think that church is a good place to make money. In a certain country, there was this pastor who called himself Prophet Sham Humi. You can Google this. This is a real story that happened back in 2015. This pastor told his church that he has got this special pen, a holy pen, that can make students pass the exams. The more you pay for one, the better grades you get. And the pastor said this about the pens. The pens are anointed 
and I declare passes when your children sit for the exams. You wouldn't think that anyone would fall for this kind of baloney in our day and age. But you're wrong. Many people believed him and bought the pen. It was obviously a scam, but people are taken in. People are gullible. People like to hear what they want. You see, all of us are vulnerable people. We can easily be swayed by sweet talk. We all have good intentions, but good intentions aren't good enough. We get deceived by false teachings like this because we want so much to believe that it works, that that anointed pen works, and we can help our children, our grandchildren pass the exams. It doesn't matter how outrageous that claim may be, how obvious these teachers were driven by greed. What matters to us is if we want so desperately for it to work and for it to be true, we will swallow it all, hook, line and sinker. We will dig into our pockets and pay for that pen. Paul has already warned us about false teachers in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. So this is not new. It happened in Paul's time, and it happens in our day. What's the problem? It's itching ears. So I say to you, go out and buy some Mopiko or Tiger Balm. Cure your itching ears. Now hear what the scripture says to us, what it teaches us from the passage that has been read. I have just four points, and they are in the form of equations, easy to understand and easy to remember. One is, godliness is not equal to financial gain. Number two, godliness with contentment is great gain. The third point is, the love of money equals ruin and destruction. And the final point, the eternal life that God promises us is our great gain. Now, just for the context, let us turn to 1 Timothy 1 verse 3. And Paul is writing to young Timothy. He says, I urge you when I went into Macedonia, stay in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. You see, the problem of false teachers was already in Paul's time in the Ephesian church. 
there were these false teachers teaching false doctrine. And Paul tells Timothy to stop them. Yes, such people are in the church, not outside. And so we need discernment to look out for these false teachers. I hope there aren't any in our midst. Turn now to our text for today, 1 Timothy 6, beginning with verses 3 to 4. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He is conceited and understands nothing. I don't think Paul means that they don't understand anything, that they know nothing like a dumb fella, but they don't understand anything about God's truth. They understand nothing of God's truth. Such people are full of ego, proud and self-centered, cocky, they think they have all the right answers. You see, the teaching that was making the rounds in the Ephesian church was this, that you needed some special knowledge apart from the revealed truth and grace of Jesus Christ. Like that special pen that this pastor has for the church. This has special appeal to those who have itching ears. Paul continues in verses 4 and 5. He has an, an unhealthy interest in controversies. He quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Paul didn't tell us that these people have hooked nose, big ears, or round eyes, but he gives us a vivid picture of the behavior and the conduct of these people so that we will recognize one when we come across them. It all just happens because there were people having itching ears, and so they take the chance to exploit the church and to make money for themselves. They have an already audience, people who are ready with a listening ear, wanting to hear what they tell them. And so these false teachers think that godliness is a means to financial gain. They were happily collecting money from the people who had come to hear them. I think Paul is trying to tell these false teachers, godliness is not equal to financial gain. The church is not for you to make money pack your bags and go somewhere. 
And I think the message for us is to be discerning, to know who is telling the truth and who is not. Not to be fooled by false teachings. And if you happen to be teaching a Bible study or a Sunday school class in church, make sure you stick to biblical truth. Look up the scriptures and see what truth there is. Don't collect money for your lessons. Godliness with contentment is great gain. That's in verse 6. Paul is contrasting it with what comes before this. And what comes before verse 6 is that the false teachers were thinking that godliness is a means to financial gain. Paul says, godliness with contentment is great gain. I see not many of you agree with Paul. You are looking a little confused. Maybe you are not convinced. You may be mumbling to yourself, are you for real, Paul? Are we hearing you right? You see, we are also influenced by the world and what the world thinks. Gaining money, having more money, and material possessions is great gain. I see some are nodding. The world measures success by how well you do and how rich you are. We may not all say it, but silently in our hearts, we agree with the world. Even as Christians, we think to be content is to be a loser. And we are kyasu in more ways than one. But listen to this. If there is anyone who knows what godliness with contentment is, it has to be the Apostle Paul. And he has learned to be content in all circumstances, in times of plenty and in times of lack. Philippians 4, 11 to 13 may be very familiar to us. Paul writes, I am not saying this, because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty 
or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. You see, Paul knows where his strength comes from. It's from the Lord Jesus Christ and not the world. It's impossible for us to live a godly life apart from Christ. Godliness has to do with our trusting God for our lives, to trust Him for providing for our needs, to trust Him that He loves and cares for us. Godliness has to do with Christian character, has to do with our desire to please God. It's about our devotion to God and doing what God says. And to do that, we have to read our Bible, study the Scriptures, know what God wants of us, to have that active and interactive relationship with God, to commune with God, friend to friend, father to child, brother to brother, on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We cannot have one without the other. But then, contentment in our world is such a rare word. Rarely you hear people say they are contented. What you often hear is people are not satisfied with what they have. They want more. We want more, just, just a little bit more. But then when we get more, we crave for a bit more. And before we know it, our greed multiplies. And this is the way of the world. We are all sucked in into this never-ending spiral of wanting more and more for ourselves. You see, God did not promise to supply your wants. He says, my God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Jesus Christ. Many people pursue happiness as if we are meant to be happy all the time. I have friends that wish me happy, healthy, and wealthy. And I'm sure you have been greeted with such wishes as well. As if that we are made to be happy all the time. And when adversity happens in our lives, we find it so difficult to cope. Even as Christians, we expect God to make us happy. As if God is indebted to us to supply us continuing flow of happy emotions. And we are just happy to help God along the way. 
we go after chasing the pleasures of this world, we know that they are one moment here, the next moment gone. We just care too much about how we look to others. We must look good to feel good. As the people say, style must the other. We must look gaya. So we go out and buy the most expensive Armani suit. Not that I have one. We put that on to look good. We drive around in our flashy new cars and we carry our Gucci handbag to show off to our neighbours. But whether you like it or not, your clothes will wear out, your car will become old and rust, and then it gets junked, your Gucci handbag will tear, Maybe you go out and buy a Birkin handbag. But the list goes on. My friends, material possessions don't give us the happiness we seek. It is only learning to be content with what we have, what God has given us that will give us true happiness. And so Paul finished saying in verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. He follows up in verse 7 with the reason why. For we brought nothing into this world, we can take nothing out of it. It is precisely because we came into this world empty-handed, we are leaving it empty-handed. You see, our achievements, all that we have achieved in life, our success, all don't matter if you are on your deathbed. That is a time of reckoning, a moment of truth for all of us. What we have all accumulated on earth don't matter anymore when we die. I'm 66 this year, and I joke with my friends that I have spent the first half of my life accumulating stuff. And now, whatever is left of my life, maybe I'll spend the second half or less than the second half trying to declutter and trying to give away the stuff that I have accumulated. We all cannot bring anything with us when we die. Sadly, I know of friends who cannot let go of all their possessions. They think they need all this earthly stuff in the life after. They just hope by burning these replicas of huge mansions and uh, nice cars and uh, even paper money, will somehow be transported to them and reach them in the next life. 
Paul is saying no. He plainly tells us, we brought nothing into this world, we ain't taking anything out. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. My mother used to say, Enough to eat and enough to live on is good enough. Some people live to eat. And most people eat to live. I hope you are in the second category. Yes, food is necessary for us to sustain life. If we have food on the table, we have clothes to wear, we should be grateful to God who provides for our needs. We should be content. We should acknowledge God's goodness in our lives because He is our provider. And because we are content, we are free to share with others, to bless others with what God has given to us. Verse 9, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Paul is telling us it's all because people want to get rich. By the desire to get rich, they end up in a lot of trouble. These people are hung up on riches. I'm not talking about just looking for money to pay for your food and lodging. I'm talking about these people who are obsessed with money. They think about money when they wake. They have to count their money when they go to sleep. You remember Mr. Scrooge? You look them in the eye, you see the dollar sign. Oh, no, it's the Malaysian ringgit or the US dollar. And so Paul says, they fall into temptation and a trap that will ultimately ruin them. The love of money is not just money, it's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. It starts with the love of money. Little by little, it consumes you until you fall into the trap. You cannot get out any longer. And so it ends in ruin and destruction. Yes, you tell me we all need money to live. We buy food and clothing with money. There is nothing wrong to work hard to earn money. I think it is John Wesley who said, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. The danger is if you cross that line, you fall in love with money. Money makes the world go round. 
and the power that comes with money, Paul says you will end up in ruin and your life will be destroyed. There was a well-known British financier and millionaire. This guy, he owned a yacht, racing horse, and he entertained royalty and lived a life of opulence. He died by his own hand, practically a ruined man. But before he ended his life, he wrote a letter which was published in the British press, and I think it's worth reading. He says, On the last day of my life, before my eyes, my brain unwinds the film of the past. In quick succession, episode after episode unwinds, and I can now judge that life today is nothing but a cauldron of greed, lust, and power. Gone are those nice feelings and contentment and in their place is a roaring, hectic existence. The love of money ruined that man. Verse 10, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. People eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul gives us the serious consequences of falling in love with money. I'm sure you know of friends, people in your own family who have wanting to get rich and ended up in big trouble. I think this also includes people in the public ministry that have compromised their faith, pursuing wealth, and ended up in ruin themselves. Some have been indicted, gone to prison for, che for cheating and uh, for fraud and theft. We all don't have the name names. We know who they are. And this is so sad. Verse 11, But you, men of God, flee from all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Paul tells us to flee from all this. Run away. Run away from false teachings. Run away from the love of money, greed, and covetousness. And run towards righteousness, godliness, faith, endurance, and gentleness. And finally, Verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you, were made, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I think we get a hint here what this great gain that the Apostle Paul is thinking about. That is the eternal life that God has promised us and that is our great gain. For a person who receives Christ gains eternal life. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains 
on them. My friends, do you believe in Jesus? And if you do, then you have eternal life, just as God has said in his word. Take hold of this eternal life. Lay hold of it. Cling on to it. Live the eternal life that God has given you. Flee from all these things, as Paul tells us. Flee from the love of money. Flee from false teachings and pursue righteousness and godliness. Remember that godliness with contentment is great gain. And if you have gained Christ, you have gained everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us and we thank you for the many lessons that you have taught us this morning. We are indeed grateful to you for providing for our every need and we pray that in our walk with you, Lord, grant us the courage and the wisdom to change what we have to change in our lives that we may follow you closely. Guard us from false teachers, from false doctrine. Keep us faithful in our walk with you, lest we be tempted by the love of money. Impress upon our hearts that indeed godliness with contentment is great gain, and to know deep in our hearts what it is to be content with little or with plenty. Thank you for the eternal life you have given us and help us to live that life. We give you all glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.